Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen to this episode. So here's our topic today. We're going to talk about a statement that Jesus made where he says, It is finished. Well, our question is, what is the it? And by the way, that statement appears more than once. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And as we jump into our subject, I want you to think about something before we address the particulars. False teachers use scriptures to teach false doctrine. For example, in Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, it's Mark 12, 18 through 27, says, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man brothers die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife and dying left no seed. The second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise... And the seven had her, and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said to them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven." And as touching the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. You see, they appealed to the law of Moses. Now, they had already come to the conclusion that there is no resurrection. And this is part of what happens to people is they approach the Word of God with a pre-drawn conclusion. And because they have a pre-drawn conclusion, and if you go back and listen to cognitive dissonance, uh, because they're stuck in some thoughts, they're not going to budge, and they're going to read scriptures. And when they're reading those scriptures... They're going to read into it the conclusion that they already have. Now, they erred in you know, Matthew's account of what I just read, Matthew chapter 22, 23 through 33. Jesus uses this language uh, where he says uh, in verse 29, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 29, Jesus answered to them, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Well, you see, a lot of people use scriptures, and some of them use quite a few scriptures, and it is concluded, well, they're using the Bible, it has to be the truth. No, I just gave you a, an example where somebody approached the living word of God, Jesus Christ. You know, he is the word that became flesh, John 1, 1 through 14. And they tried to twist the word against the word. If they will do it to Jesus, don't you think they'd do it to you, do it to me? Well, they appealed to Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, 
where it says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband brother shall go unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn, which she bearest, shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother wife, then let his brother wife go up to the gate and the elder and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up his brother's a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the, that man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Fascinating, right? But they appealed to that particular uh, instruction from the law of Moses. That has nothing to do with life after death. But to reach their conclusion, they're going to twist scriptures and try to have them concur in some way with an argument that supports their position. Men corrupt the word of God. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, and the sight of God, speak we in Christ. There were many in the first century that corrupted the word of God. So Paul and Timothy who is with Paul at the time 2 Corinthians is written, an apostle and evangelist, says, we are not like the many. We don't corrupt the Word of God. Look, folks, just because someone says, turn your Bible and read, doesn't mean that they're not taking those scriptures out of context or abusing them. It is upon you to prove, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, test all things. It's up to you to do that. Um, at times, there are people that just, they, they have a pre-drawn conclusion and they find scriptures out of their context that they use in a way to support that conclusion. Much of it comes down to they're part of a religious institution that holds to certain doctrines. Have you ever seen uh, churches that have books, manuals, even on websites where it says statements of belief? And there are like these core doctrines that they hold to. Like what we're going to talk about today is kind of a, a doctrine that exists mainly among Calvinists. And Calvinists have to hold to that tulip doctrine. By the way, that's their doctrine, not, not what someone else says that they teach. Or they teach total depravity and unconditional election, limited uh, uh, atonement, perseverance of the saints, etc., well, to hold those views, they go to the Bible and they grab verses out of their context and they say, this supports our view, so we're going to use it this way. That is not new. This twisting of scriptures problem has existed since the first century, or even before then, but in particular, Paul dealt with it in the first century, like we read in 2 Corinthians 2.17, or when he wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, 
neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now that problem that Paul points out to Timothy there that existed in Ephesus exists all over the world today. And here's the bad part. With YouTube uh, and different social media sites, uh, Facebook, any idiot can create content. And they can just turn the Bible and pervert and pervert and pervert. And then people, well, they'll look at it and they'll say, hey, that this person sounds like they know what they're talking about. Look, they got this many followers. You know, uh, one of the things that's happened to me since I've been doing podcasting, of course, my main podcast audience comes from Podbean, but you may be listening uh, through different avenues, through Apple, through YouTube, through Rumble, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, and that's fine. Great. Glad that wherever you're listening from is good. But I use Podbean to uh, host my, my podcast. Uh, but let me come back to this. Um, I have gotten emails from offers for me to pay for subscribers, uh, where there are services out there that could get YouTube subscriptions up. And I think that's hilarious. Like, I don't care about subscribers. Um, I care about one person hearing the truth. That, that's all that matters. You, who are listening, I care that you hear the truth. Not subscriber numbers. And I know, I know, and if you've listened to any videos or you've been on social media content, uh, people will, will say, hey, hit that like and subscribe button. I know why that is. There's an algorithm. It gets the, the, the podcast or whatever's being done out there in front of other people. I understand that. But numbers aren't the goal. Saving souls are, are the goal. However, the way it works psychologically on people is if they see a certain show has uh, 15,000 followers, um, and so many people listening to an episode, they, they think somehow that that extends credibility to that person, and they'll listen, and they'll be taught error. And they'll think that, well, this person's using Bible. What that those individuals are ignorant of is those people are using scriptures, but like the Sadducees with Jesus, or like Paul warned Timothy about in Ephesus, they don't know what they're talking about. They're twisting them for various reasons, okay? So Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 17, after he talked about the scoffers denying that Christ was coming, that things were just going to be the same going forward. He says, account that the long... This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. It says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given to him, hath written unto you, as also... And all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do the other scriptures, under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So you hear that caution? Don't don't follow them. There are people, and have long been people that will pervert the truth to draw away people from the truth. 
And when you look at the churches in Galatia, in Galatians 1, 6-9, that's multiple congregations in an area. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any of the gospel in you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any of the gospel in that which you've received, let him be accursed. In chapter 5 of the same letter, Galatians 5, verses 7 through 9, Paul says, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So this problem's not new, and it's not going to end. And as the medium of the internet continues to spread and, you know, everybody has smartphones. All you need to produce a YouTube video is an Android or, or Apple phone or other thing. And, and you just log into YouTube studio and hit record and boom, there you go. There's all kinds of tools out there to make it look good, make it sound good. Very simple. So any idiot out there, and there are a lot of them, can create content and they can pervert scriptures, draw an audience, and get people to follow that. You, it is upon you. It's not upon me. It's upon you not to fall prey to the predators. It's the instruction for you not to be deceived, for me not to be deceived, applies individually. Hear that. So what we're going to talk about today, and, and I'm going to read um, some quotes the first one is from Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. It's http colon forward slash forward slash macedonia-pbc-org forward slash articles forward slash it dash is dash finished forward slash. So Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, and I'm just using this. It's common. First time I heard this doctrine uh, was back in the 1990s. I worked with a guy, and and uh, prior to me taking on the full-time life of an evangelist, uh, I talked to people I worked with, talked to other people about the scriptures, and I was talking to this gentleman. He was an older gentleman, uh, and was talking to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he said, well, I believe that Jesus finished everything on the cross, that there was nothing to be done after by him or anybody else to be saved. This first time that I ran into this doctrine, and I've run into it many, many, many times uh, since. So I'm going to read a quote from the Macedonian Primitive Baptist Church website. Uh, it says, when, and it's talking about John 19 and uh, verse 30 says, and by the way, we'll go and read that so you can hold on for a moment. He says, when we consider eternal salvation as primitive Baptist, we simply take Jesus at his word on the cross when he declared, it is finished. We must then ask, what did Jesus actually finish on the cross? Did Christ just do his part of salvation? And now he's waiting and dependent upon the sinner to believe to actually be fully saved? No. The Bible teaches that Jesus completed all the requirements for eternal salvation on the cross. A little bit further down in this uh, quote, a couple paragraphs, says, 
the scriptures teach that eternal salvation was fully finished and was perfectly completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. And there is no pending transaction for the sinner to accept by belief. We just fully trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation. A little bit later down, they argue from the Greek. It says the Greek word for finished here is teleo, which means to end. That is to complete, execute, conclude, discharge a debt, accomplish, make an end, expire, fill up, finish, go over, pay, perform. Strongs. Notice there is no ambiguity or nothing pending or nothing left to do in the definition of this word. It is evident whatever work was undertaken by Jesus was perfectly completed and finished on the cross. This word is a legal and financial term that describes the notation that a debt has been paid in full, the debt has been fully discharged, and is no longer owed but paid in full. The record of our debt of sin before God is stamped telio, or paid in full, by Jesus on the cross. Jesus exclaimed with his final breath on this earth, that he had perfectly finished the work of salvation he came to complete. Again, that's a quote from the Macedonian, Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church website, which is macedonia-pbc.org. That's a false doctrine. That's what we're going to study. Why that's a false doctrine. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple other quick quotes. This one from gotquestions.org forward slash future dash sins dash forgiven dot html the quote is we have been justified through faith romans 5 1 when god justifies us he declares us to be righteous we still sin but god's declaration stands the fact of our justification argues for the fact that our future sins are forgiven second quote from uh http https colon forward slash forward slash lutheranreformation.org forward slash theology says the heart of the Lutheran church beliefs is the doctrine of justification, the teaching of how we are declared righteous in God's sight. For years, the Lutheran church has used watchwords to articulate this doctrine. A little bit later down in the quote says to be saved by grace alone means you do not save yourself. Christ does. Christ has. It is finished, John 19.30. So you can see, and if you were to do your own research online, it's not hard to do, uh, or if you had books, not hard to do. It has, since the 1600s, uh, been the Calvinistic and Lutheran doctrine that Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross. So John 19.30 is where they get this. It's Jesus on the cross. We're going to back up to verse 28. And I'm going to read John 19, 28 through 30 out of the King James Version. And by the way, um, I, I use the King James Version and all that I teach unless otherwise noted. So here's the quote. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it on his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Okay, so from that, the quotes from the Macedonian Primitive Baptist Church, gotquestions.org, and the lutheranreformation.org have drawn the conclusion that salvation is over. Jesus did it all. 
But is that what the context is teaching? No. And I want you to pay attention closely, critique, take apart everything I'm about to give you. First, in context, the reason I backed up verse 28, Jesus was fulfilling uh, prophecy. For example, in Psalm 69, 21, it says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Why did Jesus say what he said? Do you, do you recall? Jesus knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's what verse 28 says, right? Saith, I thirst. What's he fulfilling there? All the work of salvation or the prophecies concerning what needed to happen on the cross? And Luke 18, 31 says, Then he took unto him the twelve and said to them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And then in Luke 24, 44, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The it in John 19, 28 through 30, that was finished, was what the Psalms and the prophets said concerning what Jesus was doing on the cross. Well, wait a minute. The Calvinist is going to say, it is salvation. Oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So if you're going to say, when Jesus says it is finished, perfectly fulfilled, complete, and done, that that's it, why aren't you saying that when he made that comment prior to him being on the cross? Wait, wait a minute. Jesus said this prior to being on the cross? Yeah, yeah. In John 17, when he's praying to the Father, verse 1 through 4, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice, 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 notice. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Using Baptist and Lutheran and Presbyterian and other Calvinist logic, Jesus here in John 17, before being put to death, finished it. I wonder, why don't they say salvation was complete in John 17? Hmm. Isn't that curious? Well, listen, salvation wasn't complete in John 17 or in John 19. I'm going to prove to you that salvation is not complete even today. I'm going to prove it to you. And listen, when I show you this, there is no getting around it. Anybody with a kindergarten mind is going to be able to see in this podcast that salvation now is still not finished. Unless Jesus comes during this podcast which you won't hear it then, is not finished. The it in John 17, 1 through 4, was Jesus glorifying his Father and doing the work he came to do. What Jesus said in John 4, 34, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 36, I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father give me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father sent me. Jesus taught, he did the works, 
that bore witness of him. He glorified the Father in those works. The it in John 17 and the it in John 19 are tied together. They're part of a whole. But it wasn't fully complete. It wasn't over. This is where people make a whole lot to do with uh, verbiage. I, I, I did a little, little fun thing uh, right before I came in here to do this podcast. When my, when my wife listens to this, now she's going to say, that's why he said that. So I, I come into my garage and I set up a six-foot table. And I bring my laptop in here. And I bring my uh, microphone and stand in here. And I bring my Bible in here. And I set it up. I turn it on. I do a sound check. I walked out of my garage and I looked at my wife and I said, well, it is finished. And she said, huh, you, you did it all already? I know. The it was I set up my podcast setup. Well, I haven't recorded it yet. Of course, she was laughing at me like the, the 10 minutes that it took me to set up. It was kind of a joke, right? Well, the podcast wasn't finished. In fact, when I walk out of my garage, the podcast still isn't finished, even after I'm done recording, because I haven't uploaded it to Podbean yet, and I haven't set it up to be distributed to Rumble and YouTube. I have to do that uh, separately. Podbean sends it out automatically to Apple and Google and all kinds of places I don't even know about, and, and Podchaser and different different. Uh, things. Uh, but I've heard from people that are listening, even on platforms I didn't know the podcast was on. So great. But I'm not finished after recording. I'm not finished with the podcast uh, production. And is the podcast really finished before it's uploaded? And, and you could really get into logistics. Is it finished before you hear it? Right? Because the purpose of the podcast isn't just for it to be recorded, but it's to be distributed and to be heard. Why can we understand that when it comes to talking about things in general? But when it comes to the Bible, people lose their ability to reason. It was time when Jesus was on the cross for all that was written concerning his death to be fulfilled. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are preaching. In verses 27 through 29 of Acts 13, it says, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Ah, that's the it that was finished, folks. But salvation wasn't. If you just keep reading. In Acts 13, 30 through 32, but God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, and on the lesson goes. See, it, talking about salvation, wasn't finished. How can anybody who genuinely studies the scriptures think that the it on the cross was related to salvation before the resurrection? In Luke 13, 32, he, speaking Jesus, said to them, Go ye and tell that fox, talking about Herod, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. He's speaking of 
being risen on the third day, right? Oh, let's do a Greek word study there. Teleo. Strong's number 5048. Different than John 1930. But what's the definition of that Greek term? To complete. That is to accomplish, to consummate, consecrate, finish, to fulfill, to perfect. When Jesus said perfected, the third day I shall be perfected, well, there's another finish. Well, what would be the it there? The it there is the resurrection. Hmm. Now, I don't want to downplay what happened on the cross. I'm a Christian. I remember the death of my Lord at the very least every first day of the week. Because every first day of the week when disciples assemble today, and I'm a member of a congregation that follows the pattern that you read about in the New Testament, we assemble on the first day of the week just like they did in the first century, Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 1 and following, 1 through 4. Uh, I assemble with Christians on the first day of the week, and just like saints in the first day of the week, in the first century, we remember the Lord's death through the eating of unleavened bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 uh, and through 33. He made reference to the night in which the Lord was betrayed. You can go back and read that in Matthew 26, 17 through 30, where they, he was with his disciples. And during their observation of the Jewish Passover, Jesus instituted his supper using unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, the bread representative of his body that was going to be given, the fruit of the vine representative of his blood that was going to be shed. We do that in remembrance of our Lord's death. So I am not downplaying the death of our Lord. Not at all. I understand fully the importance of the sacrifice of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I'm going to do a little bit of a lengthier reading, verses 1 through 18, and really, I can back up and start in chapter 8, verse 1, but I won't do that. Um, but if you're going to do a good study, go back and read Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10. But chapter 10 does a good summary. It says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, and obviously speaking of Christ, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I am come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting uh, till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering from sin. The blood of Christ was necessary, because the sacrifices of old could do nothing. Necessary for sanctification. If we went to other scriptures, and Calvinists would do this very well, necessary for justification. Uh, both uh, points uh, are, are given to us through the sacrifice of Christ. So I am not downplaying Jesus on the cross. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This he said to the strangers that, that were scattered abroad, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 and following, uh, persecution being the uh, underlying context. You see that very clearly in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Um, and that's why they were scattered, by the way, if you go back and, and you read Acts 8, 1 through 4. So when we look at these things that are written, uh, your redemption, your justification, your sanctification, without Jesus on the cross, not possible. The system of old, the law of Moses that was uh, done away with in Christ, that was uh, put aside, you couldn't be saved under that law. Couldn't be redeemed under that law. Couldn't be purchased and brought back. We'll, we'll look at scriptures here momentarily that prove that. But I want you to hear me carefully. The death of Christ would be a useless endeavor if he were not risen on the third day. Wow. Do you really want to use language like that? Yes, I want to use language like that. Uh, maybe there are some people out there going, wow. I told you I'm not downplaying the death of Christ. But the scriptures teach us that without the resurrection, the death of Christ wouldn't mean anything. Do you know those scriptures? Got a little lengthier reading again for you because I want to pick up context here because uh, I know this podcast will fall under scrutiny and those that will scrutinize it will use the word context. So we're going to keep things in context. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to begin at verse 1. The Calvinist... They like 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, 3, and 4, but not beyond that. So let's look at it all. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I, 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 I've often wondered, I've heard Calvinists over the years for a number of years use these verses, and they teach salvation by faith only. Now, I don't know why they say that, um, because if it's finished on the cross, then faith is useless too, right? Uh, but they say it, it's not your faith. It's faith that God gives you. It's a gift of God. He, he picks his people. Remember, that's the predestination side 
where God has foreordained before the foundation of the world who's going to be saved. So God gives people a gift of faith. So they say it's not of yourself. They have an answer for everything, of course. All false teachers have an answer for everything. But what Paul says here tells you already that salvation is not guaranteed at the death of Christ because he's telling them their salvation. And this isn't all. This is just one context. Remember, we got 66 books in the Bible. Anybody tells you here's one, two, three, or five things you need to do to be saved, do you really think it took God 66 books to tell you five or one or two or three things you need to do to be saved? Or, moreover, if someone says, you don't have to do anything to be saved, God has done it all, Jesus finished on the cross, why do you need a Bible at all? It's illogical. But let me come back to the text. Verse 2 said, why would you are saved if you keep in memory which I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain? The church in Corinth began in Acts 18. The Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized, Acts 18 and verse 8. But he didn't tell them, you're already in heaven, you've already got salvation. He says, they have to keep in memory what I've preached. In fact, if you read all 16 chapters of this first letter and you go into 2 Corinthians, there's a lot they need to do because there's a lot of problems in the congregation in Corinth. But let me come back to this text. Let's read it. It says, For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but there are some fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So this is why 1 Corinthians 15 is in the Bible. That's why it was written to the church in Corinth. There were people in Corinth, not only the fornicators that we read about in chapter 4 or in the first four chapters, the people that were exalting men, or in the sixth chapter, those that were taking brethren to court, or in chapter 6 as well, the fornicators uh, that were there that needed to get married, chapter 7, or those that were abusing and misunderstanding authorized liberties, chapters 8, 9, and 10, or those that didn't understand the authority of the man and the woman, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 through 18, or those that had abused the Lord's Supper, the rest of 1 Corinthians 11, or those that abused spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, not understanding their nature. But here, chapter 15, another problem in Corinth, they denied the resurrection. So, verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And ye, no, and I added that. So let me back up. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Did you hear that? If Christ be not raised, this is verse 17. 
Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they which also are fallen asleep, talking about those that have died, in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The Apostle Paul, who is writing this through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you can read that in the same letter, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. Let me repeat, said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. This is why the Calvinist doesn't want to read 1 Corinthians 15 in its context, uh, because they have in Adam all become sinners, as is their doctrine. Here it's in Adam all die. The Bible says a little bit different than the Calvinist, right? Verse 23 but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when shall have delivered up the kingdom of God and the Father, which shall have power to put down all rule, authority, and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So ladies and gentlemen, the work of salvation is not finished. It was not finished on the cross. And Jesus still has work to do. Did, did, you, you heard that, right? He must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Have you seen anybody die lately? Sure you have. What's that tell you? Still to come. In the future. Think about what Peter wrote. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. If you keep reading in chapter 4 and verse 6, it's so that they can be uh, judged. Which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water." The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the death of Jesus Christ? No. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. It was not finished on the cross. It is not finished now. Salvation for Christians is still in the future. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed unto us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why Calvinists miss this other than the fact that they're just dishonest. There are two Bible versions that are the preferred Calvinistic versions, the NIV. The NIV in 1 Peter, or not 1 Peter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 still puts salvation in the future. Notice, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, 
but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Future. The English Standard Version, preferred version of Calvinists, says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 9, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking to the future. Looking to the future. A word that Calvinists love, justification. Was justification completed on the cross? I, I don't get this. Um... Again, I've had Bible studies with Calvinists going back to the 1990s, and they teach the Roman road of salvation. They treat the book of Romans like it's God teaching how somebody becomes a Christian, even though it's already written to Christians. Um, it's written, written to a congregation in Rome where the Jews thought they were better than their Gentile brethren, and their Gentile brethren thought they were better than their Jewish brethren. If you read the first 11 chapters and you just read through and study through with that understanding, you don't come to the conclusions the Calvinist comes to. Um, but I'm going to tell you, in every discussion that I've had with Calvinists, Romans chapters 4 and 5 seem to be their preference. Chapter 9 uh, it follows closely after that. I don't understand how they, how they can say, and it, and it just shows the dishonesty, uh, how somebody can say the work of salvation was completed on the cross when in their favorite context, it says in Romans 4, 24 and 25, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Hey, the resurrection didn't happen on the cross. It happened after, right? Head scratcher there to me. Jesus had the vital role to play. I said we were going to get to a point in this podcast where we talked about the law of Moses and, and, and how it, it didn't save. Um, in Acts 13, 38 and 39, it says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, contextually, talking about Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Justification is by grace through the redemption that's in Christ, according to Romans 3.24. But it was not once done for all. See, it is finished on the cross. People will say, wait, justification happens on the cross. Again, I just disproved that. But not only that, Jesus isn't alone in the work of justification. When you look at the word in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. My words weren't on the cross. How about yours? In Romans 2, 13, context talking about Jew and Gentile in the past, says, For not the hearers of the law are just for God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. In Galatians 2, 17, trying to get the Galatians away from that perversion of the New Testament of Christ with, with the mixture of the parts of the law of Moses. Galatians 2.17 says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. This is pointing out justification as something that they were still seeking. These were people that were already Christians, had erred from the faith, and need to be restored Seeking to be justified, not, hey, it was already done. In James chapter 2, 
Hey, and listen up. Listen carefully. The way a Calvinist will deal with James chapter 2 varies on which one you're talking to. Some will argue against the inspiration of the book of James. Martin Luther, if I can recall history correct, I think he did that. Some used the word, I think. Um, another way that it's dealt with is they'll say James 2, 14 through 26 is your works before men. What? Well, what about context? I, I talked with a Calvinist one time. I said, hey, man, just do me a favor. Go back and, and read James 1, 18 through 27. And then chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, just set that aside for a moment because it, 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 it doesn't, it's, it's, it's in the context of a letter, yes, but it kind of changes course a little bit because there were people in the assembly that were being exalted because of their wealth. Read 14 through 26 right after you finish James 1.27. Because verse, James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God. So it's talking about religion before God, not before man. And in fact, Christians understand that yes, we are a light to the world, Matthew 5.14 through 16, but we do not do our works to be seen. We don't want glory before men. You know, when, when you look at the scriptures, like Matthew chapter 6, for example, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Don't do things to be seen of men. Well, th this explanation of James 2, you're doing something to be seen of men? No, that, that's wrong. Matthew 6, 1, clearly, and other verses. But I want to get into James 2 real quick. Go back in your own studies, read, read the whole book of James. But uh, I want to isolate 21 through 26. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Whereas the body without spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The only way you misunderstand that is if you're dishonest. That's it. Are we justified by faith? Yes. Are we justified by works? Yes. Are we justified by either of them alone? No. Justification is not once for all either. Galatians 3, 24 through 29. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. This is Paul talking to Jewish Christians. To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. For... As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So these are Christians who have been justified by faith, baptized into Christ. Christians. They are Christ, Abraham's seed. But is that justification once for all? 
Are they saved? Has salvation arrived? Same letter, same people. Galatians 5.4 Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Justification is not once for all. When we read that quote uh, earlier from gotquestions.org forward slash future dash sins dash forgiven dot html, that quote says we've been justified through faith, Romans 5.1. When God justifies us, he declares us to be righteous. We still sin, but God's declaration stands. The fact of our justification argues for the fact that our future sins are forgiven. That's not what Galatians 5.4 says, does it? When man contradicts clear instructions, he's wrong. You have to be careful, folks. Remember when we read in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 17, some things that Paul wrote are hard to be understood and some which that are unlearned and unstable twist or rest as do other scriptures on their own destruction. Sometimes Bible study is not simple. Sometimes it's difficult. You got to get it right. When you find two verses that appear to say the opposite thing, they don't. It's your understanding that's wrong. You got to reconcile them. There's a consistent conclusion. But when you start to add in human reasoning, like the Sadducees did, if a man's uh, wife has been married seven times, that would cause some kind of confusion in heaven so it can't be so. That's their argument, basically, right? So the resurrection can't be just or it would cause a problem of who she's married to in heaven. So, so they create this argument based on Scripture because they have a pre-drawn conclusion. Walk away from your pre-drawn conclusions. I, I did that long ago. I don't care what the conclusion is, as long as it's the right one. If God requires me to stand on my head for seven hours drinking Diet Coke, all things that I really don't want to do to be saved, then that's what I'm going to do. I don't hold to any human religion doctrines or statements of beliefs or creed books, just the scriptures rightly divided. I have preached since, back in 1999, I was preaching in Virginia. Congregation there believed false things. Listen, they supported me well. I would have had a very good quote-unquote future there. Uh, I would have had a lot of people that liked me. That, that, that group of people had a lot of things going on. But when they were wrong, I preached against it. All I had to do was fall in line. Had I fallen in line and toted the line, I would have been fine. My family would have been fine. I had three young children. I didn't, I didn't just hold the line. I didn't tote what they wanted me to see. Same thing in the next work that I went to in, in Pennsylvania. I didn't just tote the line. I wasn't there for, but for month, just a few months before they said, get out of here. They had people in there that wanted alcoholism, that wanted the Catholic Church to be okay, and all kinds of other false doctrines that exist in that kind. I preached against them, given a list of things. I was given a list of things. Don't preach on these, those things. That was my Sunday night sermon. I have not changed in this way. I've changed in that I've had to repent of sins, but I've not changed in this. If it's the truth, I'm going to preach it. And wherever... And whoever and however things turn out, all I care about is my salvation 
and the salvation of those that will actually listen to what's being taught. Be that person. Don't be owned by a doctrine or a system of doctrines. And by the way, it is very liberating to be able to study the Bible and just teach what it says. I've talked to other men, and, and recently, by the way, and one of them listened to this podcast, and he heard some things there, and he's, he just told me, he said, hey, he's in Arkansas, uh, and he preaches among churches of Christ. And he said, you know what, I wish I could teach that, uh, but they're not ready for it, and it won't be. And I'm like, well, you don't wait. <laughs> you're, you're, you have to go, go back and read some scriptures, man. You, you, you've got to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. Be instant. In season, I've seen it. When it's convenient, when it's not. You've you got to preach the word. You've got to be free from their blood, Acts 20, 26, 27. How do you do that? By not shunning and declaring them the whole counsel of God. Yeah, but, you know, I agree with you, but, you know, no. I'm going to tell you what the real truth is. And if you're listening, man, listen. Same thing I told you on the phone. You don't need to be worried about your quote-unquote job. Being, being an evangelist is a life. Regardless of who pays you, how you get money, doesn't matter. It's a life. If you have to live that life in a cardboard box, so be it. It's a life. When you put your hand to the plow, you better not look back, Luke 9, uh, 57 through 62. And in that context, chapter 10, Jesus is sending the 70 out to teach. Don't look back. Just preach it. Let it fall where it may. And let me tell you something. You might be shocked. I have seen both. I've experienced both. I've, I've preached in four congregations, two where it went south, and two where they heard the hard truth, repented, turned to God, and did works meet for repentance. You don't have to hold to a doctrine. That little side sermon, sorry about that. Sometimes I there's so much on my mind. Come back to what we're talking about. Was justification complete on the cross? I, I think that's where I left off. And, and I'll just give you this. Man's part in his salvation can't be disregarded. In Acts 2, the first sermon preached after Jesus ascended into heaven that we have recorded for us, and we don't, we, you're going to see, we don't have all the words. Some people treat Acts 2 like we have all the words. And the audience was different. Jews to, who had come on the uh, to celebrate Pentecost to Jerusalem. Peter with the eleven, they're preaching. Acts 2, 40 and 41, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day added unto them about 3,000 souls. Man has a role. But even in that role, and once you fulfill the receiving of the baptism, you know Acts 2, 41, Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, prayers, etc. There has to be more. Why? Because you're still not there. I really want to get this point across before I wrap up. Salvation on the cross was not complete. And like I've said now multiple times, I'm going to prove it very clearly. And I know we already have. I mean, 1 Thessalonians, when... When, when I read chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 in the King James, NIV, and ESV, very clear, salvation is not fully obtained. But let, let, me put, let me put just the emphasis here with scriptures. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that faith not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with unspeakable and full of glory. Notice this. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Where's that at? At the end. Hope is in the future. Even in the book of Romans. That, again, they'll use certain parts of certain chapters. Then kind of avoid other parts. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what he does he hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. The hope of salvation is towards the future. The return of Christ is where we find it. Hebrews 9, 27, 28, As the appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That preposition's huge there. Unto salvation. Not because you're already saved, but unto salvation. I know Calvinists just can't grasp that because they don't understand baptism unto the remission of sins either or for the remission of sins. They don't understand confession unto salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And by the way, Romans 10, 9, and 10 is not talking about before baptism confession that you see in Acts 8, 37. Because Romans 10, 9, and 10 is written to people who have already been converted, people who have already been baptized, Romans 6, 1 through 6. It's talking about continued salvation in Romans 10, or continued confession in Romans 10, 9 and 10. But let me come back to point. It's in the future. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, same guy that penned the book of Romans, says in verses 4 through 21, that I might have confidence in the flesh. If any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. Did you hear that? Not as though I'd already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, Reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, 
as may it be perfect, be thus minded. If anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which shall walk as you have for us an example. For many walk, and when I have told you often, and tell you now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, that is, our citizenship. From whence also we look for the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to do all things to himself. What's Paul doing? He's looking forward to salvation. Not backwards, not to the cross, forward to the resurrection. Listen, don't let this or any other doctrine that's out there comfort you while you're in your sins. Future and past sins or any discussion of sin, you can't allow this false doctrine to give you this false hope. It's, it's wrong. You need to go forward to attain salvation. Even those of you who are really in Christ, which is not done through any of the alone doctrines or the one, two, or three step doctrines or whatever, understand that your salvation is not accomplished on the cross. What did Jesus teach on the parable of the sower? Things like this. Luke 8, 13. They on the rock are they which when they receive the word with joy have no re which for a while believe. They are believers. And in time of temptation, they fall away. In Luke 13, there's a doctrine here where, uh, and, and we've talked about this recently in a podcast, where there still are people that think if bad things happen to people, it must be because they're bad people. Well, that's false. Luke 13, 1 through 5 is a context that teaches that, but it also teaches something huge, that if you do not repent of your sins, you will perish. Jesus teaches this. Notice Luke 13, 1 through 5. There were present at that season some that told him the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, Suppose ye these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We could go through all kinds of scriptures that teach about repentance, that show that you can fall away. But if you're an honest Bible student, you've heard enough. I think we've covered the subject thoroughly and have proven without any shadow of a doubt for anybody honest. You don't even have to be a Bible scholar. I mean, it's abundantly clear. The work of salvation was not finished on the cross. The prophecies concerning the death of Christ, they were. Thankfully, because the law would still be in place if they weren't. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Thankfully, Jesus finished what he was supposed to do. Then he was risen on the third day and accomplished what he needed to do after that. And then he ascended into heaven where he sits as our mediator. And he's accomplishing what he needs to do. And he will return a second time without sin and salvation. Wherein he once again will accomplish what he needs to do. Then he will deliver up the kingdom of the Father, like we read in 1 Corinthians 15. And folks, then salvation will be finished. I hope you've 
learned a lot from this study. I certainly enjoyed giving it. I, I know that uh, there are a lot of people out there that have been deceived by crafty teachers, by fair speakers, by people who appear to be using scriptures. But listen, they're using them wrong. So if you have some questions, give me a call. My phone number is area code 915-525-5794. Call me up. Email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit the website, wordsoftruth.net, but I'm offering to talk with you. We can, we can Skype, or if you have an iPhone, we can FaceTime, and we can talk. And you can ask some questions, and we can study the Scriptures. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I just want to help you be saved. This is what will not happen. I'll not argue back and forth with you. I'll give you the truth. You can take it or leave it, okay? We, I won't argue with you. I'm just going to tell you, like, like you hear in these podcasts, here's what the Bible says. This is it, clear, plain, cut, and dry. You can take it. You can say, all right, I'm going to do it. You can be a doer of the word, or you can reject it. Because God has given you that free will. Since Genesis chapter 2, mankind has had free will to choose. You can choose to accept or reject. But if you receive not his words, they're going to judge you, John 12, 48. I'd love to help you avoid that. I don't want you to be lost. Here's something else that won't happen. I won't ask you for money. Here's something else that won't happen. I won't come on this podcast and blast you. So-and-so called me and this is his name or her name or whatever the case may be. Not into that. I do believe in marking false teachers. Romans 16, 17, and 18, among other scriptures, teach us to do that. But if you call me for help, that's not going to happen to you. I'm not going to get on this podcast and blast you. I'm not going to write an article about you. I'm just going to study with you. If you choose to reject the truth, listen, you'll be one of many people that I talk to that choose to reject the truth. Have you heard their names? So don't fear. If you think, well, are, are you going to abuse me by throwing a flurry of scriptures at me? How, how about this? We'll study at your pace. I know everybody has a different pace. I, I go a little quickly through these podcasts because a lot of people that are listening to the podcast, they're driving or they're doing other types of things. I get that. So I, I don't pause and give long periods of time. But if you're talking to me over the phone, I'm, I'm willing to spend as much time as it takes and we can talk. If you're anywhere near the El Paso, Texas, USA area, we can meet in person. We can meet in person. You don't have to tell me ahead of time what we're going to study. We can we just meet in person. We can study. We can go through the scriptures. We can take the time to answer uh, what it is that you have on your mind. But I do thank you so much for listening. I, I just hope this podcast becomes an avenue by which we can meet and talk in person. The podcast for me is not an end-all. It's an introduction. It's a way that I'm trying to reach out to the world. I hope you'll reach back. Until the next podcast, if the world still stands, thank you for listening, and uh, you get to hear the next one on Sunday if all goes according to plan. Thank you.